Hello, everybody, and welcome to World Championship Wrestling. On behalf of WTBS, it's a pleasure to welcome the World Wrestling Federation. Exciting new matches, great competitors from all over the world. And here's the man to tell you all about it. Here's Vince McMahon. Vince? Thank you very much, Freddie. Welcome aboard. Thank you. It is indeed a pleasure to be associated with WTBS, and we promise to bring you the greatest in professional wrestling entertainment in the world today. We will have this week, as a matter of fact, exclusive footage on a matchup involving the Iron Sheik, who hails from Tehran, Iran. Also on hand, Adrian Adonis and his tag team partner, Dick Murdoch, the reigning World Wrestling Federation tag team champions, will be with us. And then from there, a man who claims to have the most impressive physique in all of professional wrestling, Jesse the Body Ventura. And then from there, speaking of impressive, we shall have all six feet ten inches of giant-like Big John Stud, who tips the scales very close to the 364-pound mark. Plus, special interviews on Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff and a great deal more. So we'll be right back as we will open up with our very first matchup involving the tag team champions in a moment. What you've just heard were the opening words that aired on WTBS on the evening of Saturday, July 14th, 1994. There was shock, outrage and despair across millions of homes. For what had been a staple of their Saturday evening entertainment, the NWA, courtesy of Georgia Championship Wrestling and their stars, were gone, and in their place, Vince McMahon and the World Wrestling Federation. Unless you were a fan in the know, perhaps a subscriber to Dave Meltzer's then fledgling newsletter, you had no idea what had been going on behind the scenes for a number of months, and that had led to this position. From the July 9th, 1984 issue of the Wrestling Observer, Dave Meltzer shared the following. The most frequent question I've been asked over the past few weeks is about who won the court case in Atlanta. The word around wrestling is that McMahon and Titan Sports prevailed and Georgia Championship Wrestling Inc. is now a subsidiary of Titan Sports. This hasn't been confirmed and won't be confirmed until we see the new era of wrestling on the WTBS Superstation. A week after the rumours of Ole Anderson's demise began on the 23rd of June edition of World Championship Wrestling on the Superstation, who should pop up but Anne Gunkel? As was revealed to fans with her appearance, the widow of ex-wrestler Ray Gunkel was responsible for getting wrestling on Ted Turner's Channel 17 several years before it became the Superstation. When Channel 17 hit the satellite, Georgia Championship Wrestling, as it was then called, was the station's first and only major hit. The Gunkel appearance seems to show that Anderson, with the help of Jim Crockett, are going to make an attempt to keep NWA wrestling on the Superstation. Whether Gunkel will be able to get Turner, or whomever will make the ultimate decision on which wrestling show airs, to drop Titan's show, will be most interesting. I would expect Turner himself has the final decision-making power, and his reputation is already one who kind of goes against the grain. Whether that will favour what is left of Ole Anderson, who knows. Whether Turner may give one group a Saturday time slot and the other a Sunday slot is also a possibility. Before its Superstation days, Channel 17 aired both Gunkel's old promotion and the NWA group run by the Welch family in succession on Saturday nights. In fact, when each group had one hour of airtime, eventually led to the popular two-hour GCW show of the early 80s. The World Championship Wrestling Show, as it was known by 1984, had been a staple of pro wrestling for many decades. It had been Georgia Championships Wrestling's flagship program, first airing on WXIA, then WQXI-TV in 1971. In 1972, Ted Turner purchased the program and moved it to what was then known as WTCG before the name changed to Superstation WTBS. By July 1979, 
WTCG slash WTBS was available to 1,000 cable systems throughout the United States with a total of 4.8 million cable subscribers receiving the signal. By 1984, Vince McMahon and the recently rebanded World Wrestling Federation were on a crusade to go national. This would take many forms, but two keys to their aggressive growth were the acquiring of television uh, properties and time slots in multiple new markets in order that they could potentially ultimately profit from live event business in those areas. In Canada, he purchased two of their powerhouses, Toronto's Maple Leaf Wrestling and Calgary's Stampede Wrestling. In the US, the big target was Georgia Championship Wrestling and the coveted 6.05pm time slot nationally every Saturday evening on the Superstation. While GCW's programming had a loyal fan base and was very popular, things were not as great for the promotion behind the scenes. The source for the problems, by all accounts, was Ole Anderson, who had begun to alienate his fellow owners with his booking and operation of the company. Seeing this turmoil, McMahon approached the Briscoe brothers and Jim Barnett, the fourth owner of the company, and discussed a potential sale. All three men agreed to sell their stakes in GCW to McMahon, giving the WWF the controlling stake and McMahon access to the Saturday night time slot. The last World Championship Wrestling program under Georgia Championship Wrestling Control aired on July 7th, 1984. This featured such names as Ted DiBiase, the World Junior Champion Les Thornton, Crusher Blackwell and The Spoiler. Unfortunately, this television show appears to be lost to the annals of time and it does not seem to exist online and the WWE Network archives of the World Championship Wrestling Show start back up in 1985. What does exist online though are the pictures that would have quite literally haunted so many viewers on that summer evening. This is not on the network with the only reference seemingly during the fall of WCW documentary where Vincent Martin incorrectly said he purchased the time slot from Jim Crockett Promotions, which is either an attempt at rewriting history or just a flat out mistake. However, this first WWF show on WTBS can easily be found on YouTube via an old airing on WWE's original platform for airing content WWE 24-7. Following Vince's introduction as heard at the start of the show, we had the World Wrestling Federation Tag Team Champions of Adrian Adonis and Dick Murdoch versus Nick DiCarlo and Special Delivery Jones. They cut to an arena they did not name, but I understand from the July 30th, 84 Wrestling Observer that this was Brantford, Ontario. Vince himself and Tony Guerrero were on commentary for this match, um, which, which to be fair to them, the crowd were into from the start. Um, there was some nice, nice action in the match, especially with the Donis' great bumps from Jones' offence. The referee had a really grating slow count where he didn't lift his hand up very high, um, which didn't add much to any of the near falls. Adonis and Murdoch win this, uh, or won this with an incredible finisher. Murdoch had DiCarlo up in the doomsday position, doomsday device position, but holding him slightly backwards, and Adonis came off the top rope with a bulldog style holding on clothesline for the pin in 6.34. And for what it was worth, I didn't think this was, was bad at all. Um, very comparable to decent match action in the Mid-South promotion I've been watching weekly, though I completely understand that this may have been lost in the fury that was this takeover and removal of all the usual favourites that the viewers were experiencing at this time. Um, next up after that match was an interview with Mean Gene Oakland and Mr. Fuji plus George the Animal Steel and this is where the show really takes a turn for the worse um, this was very cartoonish and, and was really actually pretty awful um, and I can imagine that this had blood that was already boiling over reaching an altogether new temperature um, back to Vince after the break and we're heading to a sold out Met Centre in Minneapolis which looks great on the wide camera angle shot to a match between the man who says he has the best body in wrestling, Jesse Ventura, up against Chris Curtis. 
Gene Oakland and Gorilla, Gorilla Monsoon were on commentary, uh, and there was a lot of stalling at the start, with Ventura pointing out to the crowd and calling out a Minnesota Vikings football player. This was taped on June 17th, uh, 84, and a card that was headlined by Hulk Hogan successfully defending the WF World title against David Schultz. As a balding man, I'm allowed to say this, but Ventura's hair looked absolutely awful. He was bald on the top and then had two sides dyed red with green in the middle. They finally locked up after 90 seconds and Ventura, Ventura continued stalling and taunting the crowd. Jesse's offense wasn't the best I've ever seen, which is probably being overly kind. Curtis rallied full of five punches and Ventura eventually finished him off with a backbreaker submission for the win in 4.36. This was a total, total squash and not an insane one either. Um, back to Vince, who is not nearly as polished as he would be in later life in his career. And he shoots an interview with uh, shoots to an interview with Gene Oakland and B. Brian Blair. This was horribly lit in a dark room with the old block WWF logo in the background and everything else was just black. Um, this was more of a serious promo from Blair, which wasn't unwelcome. Oakland then introduces Alexis Smirnoff, who was born in Quebec, and he produces the following. All right. B. Brian Blair, of course, alluding to the fact going for the gold, the Russians will not be going for the amateur gold. Alexis Smirnoff in Los Angeles, California this coming summer. Well, fine lady, American people's gonna have a chance to have some gold medals somehow because we don't need to go there to prove ourselves. Everybody know we are the best and you people too who's watching me know that we are the greatest. Well, I'm telling you to all those cheese champions that you got here, then we are. I'm ready, I'm on my way. Do not run away from me, gentlemen. And you can tell them too, because regardless where you are, which one city, Smirnov's gonna be there one day and I'll step your brain out with my big Kuzak. Kuzak? Yes, with my big Kuzak. Hmm. What that is, I couldn't tell you, but I've got a pretty good idea. Perhaps a foot, a leg, something like that. Fans, the great stars of the World Wrestling Federation will be here. I've included that in its entirety because I just cannot do that supposed Russian accent justice. Uh, next up, we got the following advert for the WWF magazine. The brand new official World Wrestling Federation magazine is now on sale. Read about Sergeant Slaughter's march into our nation's capital. Find out how Tito Santana made a young boy's dream come true. Read of the Beauty and the Beast, Captain Louis Albano and rock star Cindy Lauper. World champion Hulk Hogan visits with Johnny Carson and Brooke Shields, while the Samoans visit with Mr. T. Where's the beef? It's in Montreal. Visit with Andre the Giant, who invites you into his very own restaurant. All this and more in the official World Wrestling Federation magazine, now on sale at your local newsstand. Back with Vince now, and he ran through a brief title history with the Iron Sheik, the former champion, having beaten Bob Backlund, but lost it to who Vince describes as the incredible Hulk Hogan. Um, the poor enhancement talent here, Ron Hutchinson, who looks a little bit like Ron Weasley, gets terrible boos from the unforgiving crowd, even though he was going up, up against such a hated guy. Um, there's no mention, again, of where this was from, but I think it was from the Brantford taping. Um, and again, sadly, this match is not listed on cage match. Um, the Iron Sheik made short order of poor Hutchinson as the crowd chanted, We want slaughter, with the match ending by submission in just two minutes and nine seconds. Back to Vince, who said momentarily we'll see a match from Bobo Brazil, who is on the comeback trail against Big John Studd. Incredibly, Brazil was just about to turn 60 when this match originally aired live on the Prism Network from the Philadelphia Spectrum the previous Saturday, July 7th. 
That card had Hulk Hogan defending the title in the middle of the show against Paul Orndorff and then concluded with the WWF World Tag Team Champions of Adonis and Murdoch defeating B. Brian Blair and the former WWF World Champion Bob Backlund. Um, I must say, my favourite part of this match was the Spectrum logo in the middle of the ring and everything else was sadly, sadly reasonably dire from two men who are no longer with us. There was a bear hug spot that felt like it went on for a month and Stud retreated to the floor for an age after a headbutt. Stud eventually won with an elbow drop in 5.45 and this was really, really bad and it's hard to fathom that this match would be included on what was a big television deal for McMahon at the time. Back to Vince and he says that he hopes everyone is enjoying the debut presentation on WTBS. Next week, Hulk Hogan would be there and then after the break, they talk about the Sunday offering which was the best of show and there, out of nowhere, it was over. With 2020 eyes, given all the booking failures that we've had, the pain in sitting through, perhaps it's not surprising that Vince would serve up such a slab of absolute turd to the viewers on WTBS the first week. But back then, this was supposed to be Vince the genius, the man that would combine rock and wrestling and promote the first WrestleMania less than a year later. Everything after the opening tag match was an abject failure, and it's hardly a surprise that the reaction to the show was so negative. And as the saying goes, you only get one chance to make a first impression. With the roster they had and the matches that they could have had, could have filled this time with, they probably had in the can already. There's numerous other ways to make the presentation of this first show better. So here's more from Dave Meltzer and the July 30th, 1984 issue of the Wrestling Observer Newsletter talking about the business advancements the World Wrestling Federation were making around that time and some further background on the deal that took the WWF to WTBS. The past few weeks may have been the most productive of the year for Titan Sports and the World Wrestling Federation in their attempt to dominate the pro wrestling business. Since our last issue, Titan has made the following major strides taken over control of the WTBS wrestling time slot on Ted Turner's Atlanta Superstation on both Saturday and Sunday afternoons. The Saturday WTBS show has been for several years the most watched wrestling program in North America. This development is probably the most important stride made since the beginnings of the wrestling war as it knocks the formerly powerful National Wrestling Alliance out of any national TV outlet and leaves the WWF with only three national cable contracts, WOR, WTBS and USA Cable. Taken over control of the Toronto wrestling office headed by Jack Tunney. In addition, Vince McMahon and company have begun doing TV tapings in Brantford, Ontario, 60 miles outside of Toronto, for use in a weekly syndicated show which they hope to get into Canadian major markets like Calgary, Vancouver, Winnipeg and Edmonton. Since they are already in both Montreal and Toronto, it is obvious the long-term goal is to be the only major promotion in either the US or Canada. Taken over control of the Atlanta wrestling office, as has been reported here the past few months, Vince McMahon bought roughly 65% of the stock in Georgia Championship Wrestling from Jim Barnett, a Titan sports employee. Jack and Jerry Briscoe and longtime Atlanta promoter Paul Jones later joined in. Although Ole Anderson, who had been in charge of the Atlanta office, got a court injunction stopping the takeover for a few weeks, the takeover is now complete. Word has it that Anderson is going to attempt to keep his former GCW employees and form a new group based in Columbus, Ohio. Apparently, the Ohio TV contracts with the GCW were not taken over by Titan. I can only assume the deals were made with Ole and not with GCW. Therefore, still having TV, he can at least make an attempt to continue operations. 
It appears likely the state of Georgia has been left open to the WWF. Feedback to the first McMahon shows was not great, to say the least. This is from Alan Petruo and the Atlanta Constitution newspaper from July 16, 1984. A new owner put a hammerlock on WTBS's highly rated World Championship Wrestling shows last Saturday and Sunday, prompting howls of complaint to the Superstation switchboard from at least 83 viewers all over the country. Gone were the familiar grunters such as The Spoiler, Jake the Snake Roberts, Iron Mike Sharp, The Road Warriors and Ric Flair. No sign of longtime host Gordon Soley and the cosy Channel 17 studio setting. Instead, viewers saw hastily assembled segments of previous bouts taped in auditoriums outside of Atlanta. Apparently, a little wrestling war has erupted since Vince McMahon heard of the New Jersey-based World Wrestling Federation, finished acquiring the stock Wednesday night of Ole Anderson's Georgia Championship Wrestling Inc., the former producers of the WTBS series. But not to worry, McMahon said in a phone interview Monday, we'll show those complainers the difference between a major league and a minor league production given time, he said. Frankly, I doubt if many of those phone calls from viewers were spontaneous. McMahon said Anderson is now organising a new wrestling production company in competition with his old outfit. Anderson, who is basing his new enterprise in Macon, couldn't be reached for comment. McMahon said the new World Championship Wrestling will feature such stars as Hulk Hogan, he appeared in Rocky III, Sergeant Slaughter, Andre the Giant and Big John Studd, many of whom have performed on WTBS in the past. The televised bout, which will continue to air at 6.05pm Saturdays and 7.05pm Sundays, will originate from arenas throughout the United States, including Atlanta's Omni, beginning August 25th. McMahon hopes to lure back announcer Gordon Soley. Meanwhile, McMahon will appear in the shows with Soley's frequent substitute, Freddie Miller. And more from the August 20th, 1984 issue of the Wrestling Observer Newsletter. It didn't take long for the folks at WTBS, Channel 17 Atlanta, to listen to those cards, letters and phone calls and give Ole Anderson a second chance. Championship Wrestling from Georgia, mainly filmed in North Carolina but let's not get technical, is back on the Superstation at the unbearable time slot of 7.35am Eastern Time Saturday for a four-week stint which began July 28th. Gordon Soley and Ole Anderson combined tapes from Jim Crockett's Carolina TV show Other Tapes Filmed in Macon, Georgia, to fill up an hour. According to WTBS Public Relations Director Michael Oglesby, the poor time slot is mainly because the station rushed to get the show on air and no other time slot could be opened up on such short notice. The reason Ole got a second chance was mainly due to the cards and phone calls received at the station. 80% of the calls we get regard wrestling, said the secretary. Plus, the station had worked with Ole for two years and the programme was consistently either the first, second or third most popular show on the station. When the four-week segment ends, August 18th, Channel 17 will examine the four shows to see if they feel Ole can deliver a quality product and look for a better time slot. Oglesby said the station had no qualms about running wrestling shows for two promotions as long as the ratings hold up. He also made note of the fact the station was most impressed with the response from the public. We expected a lot of phone calls. When we cancel anything, you'll hear from people. What we were surprised at was the number of people who called, not saying they missed the old wrestlers, but that they didn't want to see the new wrestlers. Most calls brought up they can see the same wrestlers on the USA Network and WOR-TV, and that concerns us. 
As time went on, Superstation wrestling fans continued to dislike the fact that Maman's shows were essentially made up of highlights of the WWF's USA Network and syndicated programming, as well as house show clips from Madison Square Garden and Boston Garden, plus other arenas, albeit they did later tape from the studio in Atlanta in early 1985. The action from the WWF stars of the time was markedly different to the faster paced athleticism and more wrestling-focused presentation they had been used to. By early 1985, McMahon was actively looking for a way to get out of the WTBS contract and Turner was reportedly also looking for a way to throw the World Wrestling Federation off the air. Turner began thinking about having another major promotion on the station, with two competing for the position. Jim Crockett's Mid-Atlantic Wrestling, who had been involved in Ole Anderson's Championship Wrestling from Georgia since they commenced taping, and Bill Watts's Mid-South Wrestling. Watts would ultimately be successful in getting his Mid-South television show, the same as was aired in their local market some four weeks after air date, into a WTBS mid-afternoon Sunday slot. Turner's plan at the time was apparently to get into the business of promoting events with Watts and get himself out of the contract with Vince McMahon. Mid-South Wrestling debuted on March 10th, 1985, with the eventual plan to create an entirely new show for the Superstation audience. Very shortly thereafter, Vince McMahon ultimately sold the time slot rights to Jim Crockett Promotions, who ran Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling, and was primarily the home of Ric Flair, for $1 million. This deal was apparently brokered by Jim Barnett, who was instrumental in bringing the WWF to TBS in the first place. Viewers tuning into the March 30th, 1985 episode of Championship Wrestling from Georgia may have realised that something was very different. It was opened up by Tony Schiavone with Ole Anderson, and along with their normal regulars, there were also a number of Jim Crockett stars that appeared on the show. Later that day, the final WWF show on TBS aired in the 6.05 time slot, less than 24 hours before the very first WrestleMania event went in the ring at 1pm Eastern Time from Madison Square Garden. On April 6th, 1985, Crockett Promotions debuted in the Saturday and Sunday evening time slots that had been occupied by the World Wrestling Federation. Earlier that day, the final airing of Championship Wrestling from Georgia took place, with a retitled Championship Wrestling airing the following week. Ted Turner and the Superstation continued to air Mid-South Wrestling for the remainder of their three-month contract with Watts, with this show proving to be very popular in its Sunday slot. On May 26, 1985, the final Mid-South Wrestling show would air, with Watts telling viewers they should embrace the new Crockett program, and he thanked viewers for watching during their run. The World Wrestling Federation and Jim Crockett promotions would continue to battle in a brutal promotional war in the coming years, and in the television world, after a financially successful first WrestleMania, the WWF would soon set their sights on a new and even bigger television outlet, Network television and the debut of Saturday night's main event on NBC on May the 11th, 1985. I've been your host, Stephen Guttridge, and thanks go to Dave Meltzer of the Wrestling Observer Newsletter, the Mid-Atlantic Gateway and Last Word on Pro Wrestling websites, plus my wife Charlotte for reading out the extracts so you didn't have to listen to my boring voice all the way through. Any feedback, as always, greatly received. Uh, and if you would like to hear another short-form audio documentary in the future, please do reach out with any suggestions for topics, and many thanks for listening.